Hey, we're live. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't know what uh, what happened the first time, but we're live now. There we go. And I won't waste any time. So, uh, I think I'll decide not to do an intro to this podcast. Let me get your opinion before we even crack into this. Intros on podcasts, intro music, talking about the person that's to come, and of course, if you have sponsors, like if you have sponsors, different issue, right? Because it's kind of a must. But like, do you usually skip them? You guys, do you like listen to the whole intro? What's What's your thoughts? No, do you mean an intro from the guests or? No, like, yeah, like the music plays. It's like, hey guys, welcome to the show. And then you talk okay. about who the guests are going to be. Yeah. You don't so listen to it? I personally skip them, but I think it would be, uh, it's good for a show uh, in general to have like a standard um, of music or, or an intro, just because it, it gives that association with, with uh, it just strengthens like your brand. Right more i totally totally get it it's like that brand recognition and you're building something and everything but part of me is also just like i want to be like you know some people write blogs and it's literally just black text on a white you know background and that's there's no fancy website anything it's just that because you know that's what we want at the end of the day we just want the good stuff yeah anyway i like (laughs) Intros. It, show, it, it, it shows the style the person has. You know, I like true. to see people's style. That's true. Well, anyways, we might try without one this time. So I'm going to introduce my guests uh, today. Uh, we have Ali Hamam, co-founder of Tahini's Restaurants, David Bailey, CEO of Bitcoin Magazine, and Sean Lavery, co-founder of Float Toronto. And uh, I wanted to put this together today uh, because in August, August 1st, 2020, MicroStrategy, a business intelligence, uh, publicly listed company, market cap over a billion dollars, made a lot of waves by announcing that they had converted, you know, the vast majority of their liquid uh, reserves, cash reserves into Bitcoin. They spent $250 million and bought uh, over 20,000 Bitcoin with that. And uh, I think many of us were not caught off guard, but maybe we thought this was further down on the timeline. I think a lot of us probably didn't think that companies would be uh, introducing Bitcoin into their balance sheets this early. And even if they did, we probably didn't think they'd be going in over 50% of their liquid reserves. You know, I think conventional wisdom is that both from the traditional investing industry, hedge funds, et cetera, and from larger um, publicly listed companies that maybe they'd start allocating one, two, five percent uh, of their funds under management or their reserves into Bitcoin over the next few years. Not a, a huge move like this. And interestingly, not only was that move uh, interesting, um, and not only was it interesting that they got a significant stock bump. I think you know the the stock sh- uh, shot up over ten percent. Uh, which basically is some, you know, it's a market kind of validating that decision. And I'm, I'm sure lots of companies will take note of that. And we'll definitely discuss that throughout the course of this discussion. But um, was the, the real interesting part was the reason, uh, the reasoning they gave uh, Michael Saylor, the CEO, in, in articulating why they made this move. So to get this discussion uh, kicked off, uh, with a bunch of other people who have made a similar decision, I'm just going to read what I thought was the most compelling part of his justification for this move. And uh, it goes like this. This is a direct quote from the, the press release. And it says, 
We find the global acceptance, brand recognition, ecosystem vitality, network dominance, architectural resilience, technical utility, and community ethos of Bitcoin to be persuasive evidence of its superiority as an asset class for those seeking a long-term store of value. Bitcoin is digital gold, harder, stronger, faster, and smarter than any money that has preceded it. We expect its value to accrete with advances in technology, expanding adoption, and the network effect that has fueled the rise of so many category killers in the modern era. I mean, it, it's hard. I, I know it's, some of you have actually summed up, uh, you know, your reasoning, and we will get into that. But damn, you know, that, uh, that I mean, I think from our perspective as well, that's kind of validation of what we've been saying and thinking for so long and kind of wondering why maybe, you know, the, the normal world out, outside hasn't been seeing it in the same way that we've been seeing it. But you read something like that and you're like, oh, shit, no, they, they get it. And they're seeing it exactly the same way as we're seeing it. And uh, so that was just for those people that uh, weren't familiar with the events in August for MicroStrategy, just to give some context. That's my long-winded intro. Guys, I'm going to go around, and if you guys can just, uh, you know, say a little bit about yourself. Sean, we'll start with you. Yeah. Um, so we opened about six years ago. We're downtown Toronto. We've got uh, five float tanks. Um, we've been open until one in the morning every day for the past six years, and uh, we actually just had our sixth birthday a couple of days ago. And uh, we started holding Bitcoin on our balance sheet in 20, summer 2018, and uh we started holding it with basically a little bit of excess reserves, anything that we didn't need for the next say 90 days or something like that. And then we've progressively gotten a little bit more aggressive, especially over the last little while. Nice. Ali. So, um, we operate a franchise here in London, Ontario. Uh, we've opened, uh, we've been running like, family-run uh, restaurants, uh, Middle Eastern restaurants uh, for the past eight years. Um, we grew uh, one location, two, two locations, three locations, and then now it's a franchise business. And uh, we're a Bitcoin class of 2020, uh, so we're new to the space. And um, we've, done, we've done all of our research, and we think this is the right move to do. Dave, you're muted. You're muted. Yeah. Trying to keep my baby girl from introducing herself. Also, <laughs> don't want the competition. No. Uh, so, uh, uh, David Bailey, CEO of BTC Inc. Um, we own a, a couple different businesses, uh, all Bitcoin related. Um, Bitcoin Magazine, uh, Bitcoin uh, 2021. Um, Carrot, which is a, a, a platform for people to earn Bitcoin, um, and uh, UTXO, a, a Bitcoin-only um, long hedge fund. Um, we've been holding Bitcoin on our balance sheet since 2013. Uh, it started as a way to, to make money, and it's progressed to um, more of a political statement um, and more of a statement about you know, what our, our vision for the future is decision so um yeah look forward to, to keep keep holding it and i will say the guy from microstrategy very cool very, very cool letter it also sounds like a bitcoiner wrote that so i'm guessing the ceo is also just a bitcoiner so he is one of us already <laughs> if i had to guess 
<laughs> yeah, well, I think I saw some tweets from him back in, in 2013, right, where he was highly critical. But he must mm-hmm. have had his come to Satoshi moment and, and change his tune. Dude, a, a converted critic is always the, the most strongest zealot. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Well, if that's the case, Peter Schiff is going to be a real poster boy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think maybe the best place to start with this um, is the, like the genesis of, of the idea and, and kind of allowing yourself and the process of allowing your organization. I know in small businesses, you don't necessarily have to approach a board with a decision of, of, of this nature, but just for each of you, like what was the decision-making process that finally pushed you over the edge to say, uh, you know, I believe in this enough that, and I, I think I can allocate and structure it in the right way that the volatility, whatever it may be, won't, uh, you know, won't be, have too damaging effects and will you know, mostly upside will accrete to us if our uh, narrative around this is is correct. So, Sean, what was, you know, two years ago in, in 18, what was the thinking around, you know, doing this for your company rather than just you personally? Yeah, I mean, so my business partner and I are both Bitcoiners, obviously, to start. So it was fairly easy from that perspective. And I think there's kind of two theses that I see for Bitcoin. Um, one is that it's going to be a competitor to gold, a digital gold, and the other is that it's going to be a global reserve currency. And there's, you know, kind of varying degrees of certainty around those two theses. And for us, we were both, our conviction on the first one has just always been absolute. And so when you do the math on the asymmetric upside for that, it just made sense. So we sheltered ourselves from the volatility um, in the short term with that 90-day window, kept cash and CAD. And uh, anything outside of that was kept in Bitcoin just because we felt the, the medium to long-term upside. It was just, it didn't make sense to hold dollars. Right. And Ali, you said you're a class of 2020. What was the decision-making, you know, what, 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 what brought it to your attention actually, first of all, and then what pushed you over the edge to actually do it? So our Bitcoin story is, is uh, kind of two stories that go on in parallel. So the first story was uh, our business story, which is um, business was great, business was booming, and then COVID hit, and then we kind of hit a brick wall. And everything paused, sales slumped like 80%, and it was really, really tough. So we did what any business owner would do. Uh, We worked day and night, we hustled, we kept all three restaurants up and running. Uh, We lost most of our employees. Um, Only a few like loyal employees stayed behind. Uh, And then that was the month of of March, like all of it. Uh, April came and then business started picking back up. And like through March, uh, Canada gave out like their, their CERB, which is like their government assistant program. So all, all the employees that got uh, laid off basically went on, on this program. And very quickly, we got our business back. We tried to get our employees back and none of them would want to come back, right? Because they're all sitting at home making money. And we went from an economic crisis to everyone having a lot of money and business is great. So that's, that's a good segue to the Bitcoin story, right? 
So during all of this, um, Bitcoin, um, like I was, I'm with my personal account, I was lucky enough to uh, kind of avoid the crash and I was mainly invested in like stocks and stuff. And January came and I sold like most of my uh, stocks. I was like 75% cash at that point. And then March hit and I was like, great, time to buy. So I just started piling in and I bought pretty much everything, mostly stocks. But then I also bought a little bit of Bitcoin. Uh, after that, like 50% down, I was like, sure, let's do it. And then when I bought it, I was like, well, what is this thing? You know, because I've, <laughs> I've heard about it and uh, mainly dismissed it over the years just because the bad media, the bad press, Warren Buffett calling it rat poison. And, um, and like at the time, I, I really respected Warren Buffett's opinion on, on things. So I just, you know, neglected it. And... So then I was listening to Preston Pish's podcast, uh, the investors podcast. And I heard him say that he only owns Bitcoin and cash. That's it. And that got me like really curious. I was like, wait a minute, let's, let's dig a little deeper into this. Uh, so I did that. And then I stumbled across uh, the number zero and Bitcoin by Robert Breedlove. So I read that, it was a very long read. As you guys know, you guys probably read it. And I read it again on the desktop because first time it was like on my phone, so I put it on the big screen and started going through it one by one and I started listening to him talk about it. And that really clicked for me. And, and I was down the Bitcoin rabbit hole uh, ever since. Um, so, I basically got like Safe Dean's book, The Bitcoin Standard, uh, devoured that in like three days, bought more Bitcoin, uh, kept like consuming tons of content and just buying more Bitcoin as I'm doing it. And I was fortunate enough that like when I bought most of my stocks in the dip, that was like, that was a low. So everything kept going back up and I just kept selling and buying more Bitcoin, selling and buying more Bitcoin. And the more I learned about it, I'm like fascinated by it. I think, I really think Bitcoin is like a, a one in a his, history invention that's just gonna change the world. Damn, I'm gonna go buy some Bitcoin right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, today actually, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm sure we all did. Um, you know, what's interesting is, uh, the, the, I'm doing a show on this month of content that I'm doing. That's a class of 2020. So people that got into Bitcoin this year, and I don't know if it's just me and maybe I just want it to be the case, but I feel like the 2020 class is falling harder and faster. Now, maybe that's just where we are in the cycle. There's so much more content. It's more pervasive. The macro landscape is obviously you know, more kind of directing people toward it. But I think the early you, earlier you got in, with many exceptions, of course, but like maybe it was a slower, gradual process. and You kind of hummed and hawed a bit more. 
but like you and a bunch of other people I've spoken to already were just like, I heard about it. I like, you know, I read this article, I listened to that podcast and then I was like, what the hell? And then I was all in, you know? And then I, and, and now of course you wind up with your business in it. So what, with your partners and you know, your, your co-founders and stuff, did, did you have to make a case or are they Bitcoiners too? Like how did that process play out? Yeah. So I basically dragged them down the rabbit hole with me <laughs> and I was like sending them all the content that, you know, all the articles, everything that I've learned, I was sending it to them and they kind of like, they, they do trust me in, uh, in the investing uh, side of things. Um, just because like it, it worked out in the past. And so they kind of trust me on that. Uh, but then they became like just Bitcoin maximalists themselves. And they started buying it in their own uh, personal portfolio. And then we just got together and, and we had a couple conversations about turning the company's uh, reserves uh, into Bitcoin as well. Because to be honest, they were just sitting there and we always had just some cash uh, saved up besides like our, you know, the capital needed to run the business. And it was, it was a easy decision from there. And would you say, like, I think there's two primary sides of this. One is like, as mentioned in, in the MicroStrat press release, like, protecting against the downside risk of inflation. But of course, perhaps a more compelling uh, reason is the upside potential and the implications of that for a small business. And, you know, you mentioned Preston, he's actually gone into a little bit of detail about, you know, I think MicroStrat, uh, their, I think their net income per year is like 20, 30 million. It's not a great deal. And if what happens to Bitcoin, as a lot of people are thinking will happen, whether that happens in two, five, 10 years, if that does occur, it's going to be a tremendous lever for their business. And it's going to allow them to not only solidify their position in their industry, but it's going to allow them to, you know, potentially break into other areas and just dramatically magnify uh, their business. Is that kind of how you guys are looking at it as well? 100%. And I also want to add, add to that, that I think it's going to be from this point on, it's going to be like a race and micro strategy was the first major one, but it's like everybody is going to rush in to buy Bitcoin, especially after they see the success of micro strategy. Right. And we thought that this race has already like when micro strategy announced it, we're like, okay, game on, let's go. Now it's, it's a race of accumulation. Who's going to be able to accumulate more Bitcoin? Yeah. And my hope is, and uh, I'm so grateful for uh, like the Bitcoin community and how uh, they supported us uh, through this, is that we have a chance as like medium and small businesses to front run this thing right? Because it's coming anyways. So I'd rather see, I'd rather see a world where, you know, the, the little guy benefited from, from this than the big corporations. hundred percent. Um, David, your case is a little bit different. You know, you said you started doing this in 2013, which first of all, you know, kudos because 
That's real early. Now, obviously you're in the Bitcoin world. That's what your business is in. So you probably had your ear to the ground more than most, but what has it been like? I guess it's the most appropriate question for you for having used Bitcoin as a reserve for so long, besides the obvious, which is the dramatic appreciation uh, over that time. But, uh, you know, what, what was the decision-making process like? How have you used it over the course of that time to your benefit? Like, give, give me some insight on that. <clears throat> yeah, and, and first I want to piggyback off of what I just heard. I mean, you know, it's always the insiders that have the best access to opportunity. It's always the elites that have the best access to opportunity. And what's the best part about Bitcoin is that it's actually the little guys <clears throat> that have the advantage. It's the boardroom that thinks it's too risky for their, for their, you know, um, professional career that can't get into Bitcoin, even if they think it's a good idea, it's the small business that can jump. And so, um, it's just, it's, it's awesome to have something out there that's legit. That's an amazing opportunity that really is built for the little guy. And that, you know, that makes Bitcoin special just from that perspective. Um, for us, you know, it started, um, you know, I, I bought my first Bitcoins in 2012. We started our media business in 2013. Um, we sold our first ad um, in August of 2013 and uh, to a company called Satoshi Dice. And uh, they paid us, I think, if I remember correctly, 135 Bitcoins for a single ad. And um, with a yes. price, when the price went up to like a thousand bucks, like four months later, we're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, it, it blew our minds. So we're like, okay, we're going to take these Bitcoins. We're going to put them in cold storage. And these are our first, it's like our first dollar that you put up, except it's the first, you know, Bitcoins in cold storage. Uh, that was also the first lesson in the volatility, like, you know, uh, from the business side of Bitcoin, because we held those Bitcoins and some others that we had in 2014. I don't know, you know, if y'all remember uh, uh, what happened, but Mt. Gox um, failed and it was a pretty, pretty nasty year. And so we, that was our first like true, true, crypto winter. And uh, coming out on the other side of that, you know, we, we said, um, all right, well now, you know, we're only going to invest in Bitcoin in the bull markets and then the bear markets are going to go into cash. And so it's really just like, how can we optimize our balance sheet to, to get leverage effectively? And so in the, in the um, 2017 bubble, we basically um, had a hefty chunk of our balance sheet in Bitcoin, but uh, you know, we're trying to be like a reasonable business and keep pr primarily, you know, what we need up for a year in cash. Um, and, you know, when Bitcoin, when Bitcoin went up and went nuts, you know, we took the money, we expanded our business really large, we repeated kind of some of the same mistakes we made in 2014. And then when crypto winter came again, we're overexpanded, you know, um, uh, we thought we had saved enough in cash and like, it was a pretty brutal ride down for us again, even when we tried to like plan for it. And, um, probably a year into the, the bear market near the end of 2018, uh, we kind of had, I'm going to call it a, a quarter life crisis. Um, I'm 29 years old, but you know, hopefully, hopefully that's quarter life. Um, uh, so, you know, it was like, what, what are we doing? All right. We just like, uh, hired a hundred people, had to let go of 50 people, like wrote our balance sheet up, of 50 X, you know, wrote our balance sheet down 80%. Um, it's like, why are we doing this? 
And, you know, we really came to a conclusion right before we decided to do uh, the Bitcoin 2019 and the Bitcoin conference that, you know, we got into Bitcoin uh, not for the profit, uh, not for the money, but for the mission and the power of what Bitcoin can do for the world. And so, you know, we're here for hyper Bitcoinization. That's what we want to see happen. And so it's like, if we're going to walk the walk and we're going to talk the talk, um, then, you know, my God, we're going to fucking do this for real. And so we just basically put almost all of our money into Bitcoin. Um, you know, we uh, still have about a 90%, 90, maybe more than 90% of all of our, of our assets in Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, we're in this uh, uh, ride. I mean, that's, that's basically our, our perspective on it. And, um, you know, for us, it's really more of a challenge of how can we as a business, um, how can we tread the path of uh, hyper-Bitcoinization? And so, you know, we'll be transitioning at the end of this year to paying 100% of salaries in Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, we want to be a Bitcoin-only business and, um, you know, divest our dollars. And, and um, that's a statement about where we think the world is going. And, it, you know, it's like, what are the things that you're willing to fail for? And it's like, okay, if we go all in on this and we fail, it was worth it. And so, you know, like I'd rather do something that I fail out that was worth it than something that I fail out, fail out that I never really wanted to do in the first place, you know? So 100%. I think, you know, whether it's business or personal, so many people, especially in these hardcore Bitcoin circles, uh, so many people share that perspective, right? Like, look, we could be wrong, obviously. You know, this this may not work out the way that we expect. And if it doesn't, then we'll all have, you know, scars of reputational scars and financial scars of various kinds. Um, but like you said, if it doesn't work out, our, our hearts and minds were in the right place, I think, for, for, for many of us. And of course, if it does work out, then our hearts and minds were in the right place and our, you know, our investments were in the right place. And that probably just puts more fuel on the fire to keep that same passion burning and expressing whatever capacity it was doing before. But, you know, one of the, the interesting phenomenons that I've noticed and had people tell me about is, um, you know, when you start stacking, basically, when you start stacking sats, uh, you look at your spending differently. You look at your material possessions differently. Do I really need that? You know, can I get rid of that? Should I spend money on this or should I, you know, devote it to, to stacking more sats? And, you know, there's a valid argument there for maybe that's a little bit, you know, too all consuming your psychology if you're looking at things like that. But here we are at the, you know, perhaps at the precipice of uh, the greatest, you know, you know, financial revolution of all time. It's, 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 uh, you know, it's not surprising that it would have uh, unusual effects. But my, my question is, is this happens on a personal level. As a business owner, for all of you guys, since you've kind of tethered your business to Bitcoin and Bitcoin to your business, do you work any harder? Do you go into like, do you go into the restaurant and be like, I'm sell, fucking selling more wraps today? Or like, do you go into the float, you know, business and be like, I don't know, I want to tweak this, I want to get more customers. Like, does it actually materially affect your drive or was that kind of already in place and you know the bitcoin thing is just another business move that you made sean why don't you tackle that one yeah it doesn't affect my drive in a negative way but what i'll say is that it definitely affects my willingness to invest in new businesses uh, it becomes really hard to justify investing in a, a, a small business expansion 
when you just pretty much can't beat hodling in my opinion. Right. So that part gets really tricky. So I was actually in the process of opening a much bigger business um, when this all started. And the only way I was able to do that was by getting other people to fund the entire thing. And because uh, I, I wasn't willing to sell Bitcoin to do it. So that's definitely a tricky part from an expansion perspective, a growth perspective. Yeah, loan from the banks. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. If you can get a loan from a bank um, for a startup venture, that's the, obviously the ideal scenario. But um, that's not generally how it goes. If you want to start a new business from scratch, usually you're funding friends, family, and your own capital. And, uh, and, and that's probably the biggest thing is that I'm, I'm kind of always all in on my own businesses. And this is the first time in my life where I've just not been willing to do that. Right. So I, I found it that it actually, uh, gives me more purpose at work because the way I, the way I see it is inflation is theft, right? So you spend your life, you work, you make money, and then a group of people decide to inflate that money away. And then the beauty about Bitcoin is that it, it truly is a savings technology, right? And uh, Breedlove, obviously, you can, can talk about this way better than I can, but uh, you you don't want your work to be inflated away. So when I work and I earn something and then I, I store that in Bitcoin, that wealth, that wealth in work that, that I've done is going to store across time, right? And that gives me more motivation to go and make more money so I can buy more Bitcoin. And then the, the timing of, of wanting to expand uh, you're right, Sean, like it's, it's pretty tough if you're, if you're thinking, uh, well, Bitcoin's going to have like a massive, uh, bull run or I should wait. Uh, but that's the beauty about the four year cycles, right? You, you can just wait for the next cycle and then, um, Bitcoin's going to go up a lot and then you're, you're going to have a clear decision whether you want to um, expand your business uh, that way. And so that's, that's the beauty of it. You don't, you don't need to depend on, on taking leverage to expand your business or, or doing that. Uh, you can just store your wealth in Bitcoin and Bitcoin will do what it, what Bitcoin does. And, uh, you can, you can go from there, but I don't, I hate the feeling of inflate inflation like it's it's very insidious in in the way that it's uh that it affects society because it happens on on a very small scale right like it happens slowly but surely kind of thing and then that is demotivating for me so bitcoin fixes that wait just to hang out there for a sec so the fact that you're being stolen, being stolen from, from, uh, via inflation, that's de- like, you kind of, that gives you a sense that you don't even want to work cause it's, it's rigged against you. Why are you working so hard when people are stealing from you? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So when I can work and, and earn in Bitcoin, that makes my work more meaningful. I right. want to do that work more Yeah. because I'm not just 
like, I'm not just accumulating Bitcoin now. I'm going to keep accumulating Bitcoin for as long as I live, mm-hmm. right? Because to me, it's just a savings technology. So that's, that's just the way I, I see it. I think that sums up the Bitcoin revolution. The, the honest pay for honest work. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah I mean, like, uh, like it's, uh, have you guys read like, um, the article, uh, about slavery from, from Robert Breedlove masters and slaves of money. It's, it's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. It's amazing. And then you just kind of like go like, think about that. And then it kind of gives you a new <laughs> like perspective, you know? Yeah, you're like, wait a second, I'm being fucked by the money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, that doesn't make me feel very good. Yeah, yeah no shit. I mean, it's, and we all think this way, I'm sure, and, you know, rack our brain often, surely, that, like, it's so obviously about the money. Like, so many of the ills and problems that we see is so obviously how the money is treated and the money system we have and the nature of the money, and so few people see it. You know, it's uh, it, like I, someone said it today on Twitter, but it's like, you know, sometimes like you're taking crazy pills because it's so damn obvious and in your face. You're like, like cause effect, cause effect, cause effect right there, right in front of you. You know, it's not a conspiracy. It's not anything. It's just you got historical presence and everything. Uh, but still, you know, people don't seem to be sufficiently motivated to take the time to really understand the degree to which, to your point, Ali, they are being stolen from. You know, inflation is just a nice word that, oh my God, did you guys see the fucking uh, uh, video from the Bank of Jamaica? It was, it was, it was, it was about inflation. So they paid some like local um, musician to do like a, I don't know what the style of music is like, um, I don't know, let's just call it Jamaican music, like hip hop ish sort of style to do a song about inflation and like the chorus is like, you don't want it too high. You don't want it too low. Something, something inflation, like the economy can't grow. And I'm just like, it was the cringiest fucking thing I've ever seen in my (laughs) life. But you know, this is how, and that's obviously overt propaganda that I think like even a lot of normal people uh, in North America would probably raise an eyebrow to, but it's become so normalized is my point that the concept of inflation and, you know, even these highly credentialed quote unquote uh, economists and investment people, you know, inflation is just part of their lexicon. It's just, yeah, sure. Inflation, you know, you got to adjust your returns for inflation. You got to consider inflation. You got to adjust GDP for inflation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And it, the, very few people see it in the terms that uh, you know Robert laid out so clearly in his recent article that it is a relationship of or when you have a relationship like that with money when a certain group of people get to create money at zero cost and another group of people have to sacrifice their time to obtain it a relationship of slavery will inevitably develop it's like there's no way around it and uh, the, the the only question is the time it takes for that to worsen effectively. And um, I think that's, you know, I think the, obviously the worse things get, the more people will start to maybe put these, you know, connect these dots. But, um, and, you know, Ali, someone like you who came in this year and just started reading this stuff and the light had the light bulb moment. I mean, you're, you're obviously living proof of that. So 
I think that's why maybe to my comment earlier about the 2020 crew, um, you know, going, falling down the rabbit hole harder and faster is probably a result of that. But it still blows my mind that, you know, even when I bring this up, as I'm sure we all do in the odd social conversation about, you know, what the, the craziness in the world, relating it back to the money, people just give you like a dead face. They're like, wait, money, like, what are you talking about? It's about- you know, yeah, you know, John, like what really bothers me about this, because like since I've, since I've gotten into Bitcoin, I've, like I started to talk to a lot of people, friends and family about Bitcoin. And whenever we, like I bring up the inflation, uh, like part of it, people don't like to talk about it, right? And it's become, they're like, yeah, well, that's the norm. And I think people don't like to talk about it. It's because, like you said, John, like they're getting fucked, right? And people don't like hearing that they're getting fucked. So they just say, like, that's normal. Uh, that's what happens. And the, the con pretty much worked, right? I also, and, yeah, I think there's another layer to that as well, which is that part of the whole conversation is, so, I, so my background, I studied economics at university and I totally bought into the whole Keynesian scam. And uh, I think part of it is admitting that you were scammed. And, and it's a really hard thing for most people to do. It, it, it's hard for the ego to get to that point. Like I had a real, like somewhere around 2015, 2016, I had to come to terms with that where I like totally went to university, thought I understand what was going on in the world and it just had to admit I completely got scammed. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it gets even more complicated for entrepreneurs and people, economists and people in business who have to understand that they never knew what money was in the first place. That's a really difficult thing for the ego to, to deal with. True. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with everything that I'm hearing. I mean, uh, I also think it's the fact that, um, there's nothing you can do about it and it, you know, if you told somebody that they're a slave, they don't want to hear that. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just like, it's frustrating to see something that, you know, nothing can be done about because it's, it's baked into the system. It, it has to be. And, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's messed up. It's messed up. I mean, I, and I, you know, to your point earlier about like, uh, does it, does it make you work harder? You know, I used to find like, like once you see this, you can't unsee it. Like once you see what's happening, it's just, you see it everywhere and it becomes, it becomes consuming and it becomes infuriating and it becomes, you become angry. And, you know, to me, Bitcoin is an escape. It's a way to, it's a way to not be consumed by the fraud to, to just be able to, to focus on what you are interested in and enjoy because you don't have to be so worked up over, I mean, you're not being scammed anymore. Like, you know, the, the, it sucks that other people are being scammed, but at least it's not, you know, infiltrating my mind, occupying my mind space and distracting me. And so, you know, from that perspective, being invested in Bitcoin, it, it, it lets me sleep soundly at night. It lets me um, not care about Fed policy, not care about any of this stuff. It's just like, okay, I mean, it's inevitability to me that they're going to wreck the system. So wreck it. You know, in fact, the faster you wreck it, the better. Um, you know, I, I, um, you know, I used to think like, Hey, you know, we have to be, you know, we have to be conservative with our finances, et cetera. Now I'm like, I'm in the birthday party, elect Kanye West for president. Let's get money printer, go burr. And let's just run this train into the ground as fast as we can. 
So, um, you know, in terms of, of using Bitcoin operationally, you know, uh, Bitcoin is, I mean, it's scary at first, but once you get used to using Bitcoin um, and enough time goes by using Bitcoin, you really almost can't even go back to the old system. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, when we make investments, we make our investments with Bitcoin. Um, you know, when we pay freelance writers, we pay them with Bitcoin. Um, you know, like if you even ask me, I had to deposit money into the bank the other day. And I, I swear to God, it's like the first time I've had to deposit money into a bank account in like five years time. And I could not figure out how the tubes work that shoot. You know, you put the, the money in the little thing, you put it in the tube and it, <laughs> and it shoots up. And this lady thought that I was like drunk or something that I could not figure out how this works. But it's like, this is, this is the most antiquated. Literally, it's like we have a meme about there being like tubes where the, you know, for the internet. Like literally, that's how like our, my bank works down the street. And so the ability to just send a text message is, you know, sending Bitcoins as hard as sending a text message. It's just like that, that paradigm is so much better. It is so much better. And I don't just mean it's better because number go up. I mean, it's better because it's just like better. Yeah. And, you know, the, the number of cool stuff like, um, oh, you know, I, uh, me and my co-founder, we're going to make an investment. Cool. Throw some money in a, a two of two multi-sig wallet. Boom. You know, oh, uh, um, I mean, there's just so many things. Uh, uh, we have a, a team in Argentina building something. Okay, let's just put 30 grand worth of Bitcoin into a Bitcoin wallet that they have access to. I know they have cash on demand basically as they need it. And, um, you know, I know that I'm going to be able to see where the money went and how it was spent after the fact. It's like the closest thing to, what's the saying? Like, uh, make sure you always sign every check yourself. It's like, um, uh, like signing every check yourself, except um, sending money digitally fast, quick, and convenient. And so, you know, I think it's it's better for business from that perspective. And, you know, I think, I think you know, it really, as entrepreneurs, the onus is on us to prepare the, f prepare the population for the hyper-Bitcoinization event that's coming. And, you know, I, like we are probably, you know, I'd be surprised if we're more than 10 years away from, you know, Bitcoin being truly a mainstream asset that's truly on the balance sheet of almost every corporation. And uh, as more and more people adopt Bitcoin and exit the fiat system, uh, the carrying cost of those that remain in the fiat system grows. You know, the, the inflation is spread over a smaller and smaller number of people. And that, that, that accelerates the inevitability of the transition from the dollar as the reserve asset of the world to Bitcoin as the reserve asset of the world. And um, I think that for us to be able to functionally operate in that environment, there are a lot of tools that need to be built in order to make it much easier, uh, much faster uh, for, for businesses to be able to operate with Bitcoin exclusively. And, um, you know, if we don't build those tools, it's going to make people's lives very hard because they're not going to have a choice to keep using dollars when the, when the dollar system becomes truly um, uh, too expensive to use. Mm -hmm. So I got a question for you, David. Do you guys like uh, earn most of your income in Bitcoin? So uh, no, uh, we're paid primarily uh, in dollars. Um, you know, even when we do get paid in Bitcoin, we price everything in dollars. Yeah. Um, but uh, when we have cash come in, if, 
if we have the bandwidth, I mean, if we have more than a few months of operating uh, runway, we take whatever comes in in excess of that, we put it into Bitcoin. And we, you know, the, don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. And, and you know, I would say, um, you know, it's funny, like, I, I, Bitcoin is a savings technology, but when Bitcoin price is going up, 100% we feel the wealth effect. And like, you know, like when you are up 50X on something, it's like, uh, okay, let's make that investment. Okay, let's hire that person. Okay, let's do that. And so, I mean, you can spend Bitcoin. I, I wish we had all the Bitcoin we had spent over the years. Um, uh, you know, but the inverse of that is like when you are in the crypto winter environment, you know, like your mindset becomes like, like, I know Bitcoin will be worth 100x what it's worth right now and in, in the next three years. And so, you know, like even, even um, two months ago, we and uh, basically the person wanted $10,000 worth of Bitcoin for it. One, one Bitcoin is what they wanted. For what? And, Sorry, Dave? You, know, you cut out, pretty you cut out for nope. a sec. Uh, well, I, I don't want to say... For, for an asset we bought. I'm not going to say specifically oh, okay, what it okay. is just because I don't want to like invade their privacy, but yeah, sure. um, uh, a media asset that we bought. And, uh, um, you know, it was a really a no brainer deal to be honest, but I go to my co-founder just to be like, Hey, what do you think about this? And he's like, you know, uh, that's a $200,000 purchase we're about to make. And, <laughs> and you know, it's really hard to justify just about any investment when you're thinking, like with a hundred percent confidence that there's a solid 10 X or 15 X coming in the next 18 months. Yeah. And so, um, you know, there is that dichotomy. It's like you, you, you don't want to spend your Bitcoins when the price is low and when the price is high, you're a little bit more generous. Right. So for, for all of you guys with this strategy, so, okay, we're going to put excess reserves or all reserves or whatever into Bitcoin. Uh, do you have to set out with your partners a strategy when you do so uh, accounting for the times when it tanks in bear markets and when it rips in bull markets, like this is how we're going to restrain or amplify or whatever our behavior to make sure that we're not being led by the price appreciation. Like we're still on strategy. We're still, you know, thinking as clearly as possible because we all know, you know, what, what our minds can get like when, when things are ripping, right? The greed and the, the on paper wealth and this kind of stuff. So, do you guys go that granular with your planning or are you going to cross that bridge when, it, when you come to it? You know, I'll just uh, jump in real quick on that. Like uh, for us, uh, you know, it was my decision when we were, when we were just inching into Bitcoin, when it was time that we were like, okay, this is going to be an all in bet for us. Uh, it was just a discussion with our board and our, and my, my business partner, but it was also all of the, the staff. And it was like, look, you know, you're either in on this train with us or this is not the right place. And we are gambling with your future income by going all in. But like, that's the train you're signing up for. Are you, are you okay with that? And every single person on our team was like, hell yes, we're okay with that. <laughs> so, you know, from like, from that perspective, I think it's even more powerful when you know the risks and you can articulate the risks and you still get the buy-in from everyone to make it happen and do it. That is actually amazing. I'm sure everyone listening to this right now is like, how the fuck do I get a job with Bitcoin Magazine? That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> what about just, you guys, Ali? I just want to go on the record and saying, so we, uh, 
we came on on the map by uh, posting this tweet um, that kind of went viral and, and um, all over Twitter and uh, it was published by many like publications in the Bitcoin space and Bitcoin Magazine were, was the only publication that actually reached out to me and asked me for an interview. And everyone else just wrote their own article, said whatever they wanted to say. And um, like, it was just, I don't know, I found that funny, but I just want to give props to you guys. Thank you. That's like real journalism right there. So keep it up. Thank you. That, that shout out is for the team and uh, they take their job really seriously. And, you know, um, you know, that they, they feel like they're, uh, they're covering um, world history in the making. So uh, uh, they appreciate um, you taking the time to, to give us the story and yeah, man, they're hardcore. Sean, what about you in terms of just the planning around, you know, accounting for how Bitcoin behaves, you know? Yeah, I mean, we haven't talked about it, but we're both pretty hardcore hodlers. So I don't think we're selling um, unless we had to. Um, if if we got into a situation where, say, he wanted to, I mean, the worst case scenario, we could just sell and uh, hit, take the tax hit, and then I just buy back personally if, if we disagreed. So we're we're really good friends, so there's no concern there or anything. But I, I mean, if like, want to do that. if if it rips. You know, again, like the businesses, and I want to get into in a sec, like how each of your businesses holds uh, Bitcoin to the extent that you're willing to share. But like, will you use the price appreciation to expand the business, to hire, you know, Dave, David obviously gave his experience, you know, throughout a couple of bull runs. But like, do you have plans for what happens with Bitcoin or is it just like it's there for as long as you can afford to hold it and you don't really want to, you know, drum up plans for it right now? That's a good question. I think my, our price target on Bitcoin is really high. So it's not really an immediate concern. Um, I don't think it's going to be there for a while. So I, I think, I don't think anything beats holding Bitcoin until we're fully Bitcoinized. What's and your price target? Somewhere around 10 million. <laughs> Dude, Sean, the, the real answer to that is that price target is indeterminate because no, no, I, I always mean when I say that I mean in today's dollars. I mean in today's dollars. I mean, why are you, so, why are you so bearish, bro? Yeah. yeah why, why, why so bearish? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think it's, I, I, with what's happened this year, I just don't think there's any doubt that Bitcoin is going to become money. I, I don't see any way around it. I mean, obviously there are some small percentage chance uh, possibilities of failure, um, but I just don't see any way around it at this point. So, we're not selling until then. And uh, at that point, um, of course, we'll use it to invest in, in other business opportunities and, and growth and all that kind of stuff. But it, it's tricky because we're staring down the, the barrel of a decade where it's very difficult to put your capital to better use. Right. Especially for small businesses. I mean, it should be noted here that in the, in the environment we're going into, I mean, I'll use the Canadian example because it's the one I'm most familiar with. And I think a lot of people are familiar with, you know, the American and the Fed as well. But, you know, Bank of Canada have, has expanded its balance sheet, balance sheet over 5x, I believe. And the deficit is going to be over 15 times what it was last year. And, pro and probably, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year we're at something like 20. Like, you know, the political speak is one thing, but you can't, quote unquote, grow your way out of a 20x deficit. I mean, it's just... No, it's, it's not possible, right? And so the inevitable outcome, unfortunately, and 
is going to be a lot of small businesses just they, they're going to wind up in an environment, a situation where it's no longer economically viable uh, to continue, you know, and maybe they dissolve the business and they go find a job with the government and, you know, whatever happens. But as you say, Sean, like it, it's got to be difficult as a small business owner to keep putting resources into one thing if it's not, you know, generating the type of returns that you want when you have this other thing that if you devoted a similar amount of resources into it or the the proceeds of those resources would you know has you know a greater upside potential and so i think you know that's going to be a predicament that a lot of small businesses find themselves in it's a good point because you you broach the subject of what happens if we get to the point of uh needing to dip into our bitcoin reserves do we want to sell bitcoin to keep the, a, a business running exactly. that is losing money month to month and, and we're dealing with this new regulatory risk where the government can just shut us down anytime um, at their pleasure. And that's a really difficult thing to think about. So we could potentially be looking at a, a year or two where we could get shut down at any time. And, and that's not necessarily the best, uh, the best business to be, you're, you're throwing bad, a good money after bad at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you can do a little bit of both. Like with the upside that Bitcoin has, uh, I believe every cycle, at least in this stage of, of Bitcoin, is, uh, especially for small businesses, uh, is going to give an opportunity to both expand and keep a lot of your Bitcoin, right? But the, the thing is, you have to have a lot of Bitcoin right now if you want to do that. I believe that in the future, in the future site, in like in this coming cycle, we're probably going to be able to open a restaurant or two using just one Bitcoin. Right. And that's crazy. Like <laughs> to think about, but, uh, I think that's going to be possible. And at that point, it's really going to come down to your time preference. So I, I would recommend at that point, everybody to go listen to Saifedean talk about time preference because that's when you're going to have face the decision of, of what to do with your, uh, with your Bitcoin. And then uh, if you understand time preference, you'll make a better decision because uh, we want to, we want to do both. We want to grow our business and we want to own Bitcoin, right? So um, if we grow our business, then we can actually buy more Bitcoin. So we kind of, and we build our legacy for ourselves and our family and our, you know, so, um, yeah, I think we're going to be able to do both and we're, yeah, we're going to be, we're going to have tahinis everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually excited uh, that because I was watching a video of your guys the other day and it looks amazing. I haven't tried it yet. Thank you, brother. Yeah. I've seen some of those videos too and it's making me, yeah, I get hungry every time I see one, so I'll have to try it next time I'm up in that neck of the woods too. Um, but, you know, we, we've referenced the cycles quite a bit here today, and, and Ali, you were saying, you know, um, or I can't remember if it was Sean or Ali, but, you know, we've all made reference to the cycles, and I know there's a lot of hopium around all the time, and, you know, Plan B's model uh, is something that's gotten a lot of traction, and people refer to it a lot. But of course, we exist in a universe where nothing is certain. Um, and Bitcoin is, you know, a, 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 can be a cruel mistress. So like, is this, 
do you think it, things will continue to play out as they have? That's kind of the first part of the question. Um, and if they don't, let's say we stay, I mean, I know it's kind of inconceivable, but let's say we stay at 10 K for two, three, four years or, or Bitcoin goes down. Like, is this an acceptable outcome to you guys? Not, not just personally, because you know, you could say, well, whatever, it's my personal funds are at risk. If as a business, is this an acceptable outcome for you or does it need to adhere to a certain, uh, past performance, uh, to fit the, the kind of, the plans that you have for integrating it into your balance sheet? It's a really good yeah. question. Sorry, go ahead, John. I was going to say, I haven't really contemplated the idea of it staying at $10,000 for the next three years. That's a, that's a weird thing to think about. <laughs> that would be super awkward. Yeah, is it one direction or the other seems much more likely. Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen either. Just because like, that's what, um, that's what Bitcoin is. It's, uh, it's like I said before, it is a savings technology and, and it's pegging all central banks against the wall. Right. And at a time where countries around the world right now are printing money like crazy, Bitcoin is doing the exact opposite of that. And I hope people really like think about that and, and think of the impact of that. And that I, I truly believe that will, drive the price a lot higher. So, you know, for us, um, you know, I'll be worried about Bitcoin if it, if it's below a hundred dollars, but you know, anything, anything shy of that, I mean, you know, it's like, if it's Bitcoin or if it's something else, this is, this is bigger than just, uh, the name of a cryptocurrency. I mean, this is, um, this is a macro movement towards, freedom of the individual. And uh, there is nothing that can stop that from happening. And whether they come out, if there's some, you know, quantum miner that's going to mine all the Bitcoins or and break the consensus mechanism or whatever, it doesn't matter. There will be a new Bitcoin immediately. And, you know, like I said, I mean, we, we're right till we die. I mean, the, um, that's the mission. Um, and I don't think we're going to be at, at, at Bitcoin 10K. I mean, I've been through four bubbles now. You know, every bubble feels exactly like the bubble before it. Um, right now, feels like 2016. Uh, you know, I think we'll probably be at all-time highs by the end of the year, but who knows? Um, but I mean, like we we if if you know, we're a Bitcoin business. So if Bitcoin goes to zero, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough day for us uh, in general. <laughs> but you know, I mean, that's why that's why it matters. Like. Uh, uh, what what we do needs to have purpose so that way if that's how it ends up then like we don't we don't have one regret and uh you know for for sean you need to figure out how to get some bitcoin miners in what you're doing and probably you need to get some bitcoin atms deployed at every restaurant and um you know we we have to we have to show the way we have to show the way and if and if, and if the people who know the most about it aren't aren't willing to put you know their money where their mouth is, it, it, you know, it's, it's hard to inspire others to do the same. You know, David, I actually want to piggyback on, on that comment. Uh, I really think that taking Bitcoin as your prime reserve asset is a huge idea because for me, that was how like I was inspired, right? When I said, like I saw, Preston Pish doing that, 
that really got my curiosity going. And one thing led to another and I ended up doing the same thing. So I really think the idea of making Bitcoin your prime reserve asset is an idea that can change the world. Because if people adopt it, there's no stopping this thing, right? But it, we have to, and like, this is the, the message that I was uh, like wanting to push on, on Twitter is that we have to start within uh, all Bitcoiners. And I hope all Bitcoiners listening to this can, can uh, do the same. And don't just put like 1%, 2% of Bitcoin. If you really believe in this thing, go all in. That's, that's how we can change the world, right? Because the world is changing with or without us, right? And I really hope Bitcoiners out there can, can hear that and say, you know what, that makes sense. We're, we're, we don't trust the currencies anymore. We're just going to go all Bitcoin. YOLO, motherfucker, this is that. financial advice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's every, dollar, every dollar you keep in your bank account is one more dollar that you give them to inflate away so that they can go pay for their bullshit wars, for their corporate bailouts, for their welfare bullshit. I mean, the, the, the don't give them the purchasing power to inflate. Exit the system. Exit your fiat. Like, fuck them. This, yeah. is actually, this is actually a really good point. I mean, I think all of us and a lot of people listening are very much aligned with the, the notion that Bitcoin is obviously a financial asset. It's, it's the, the best money that we've, we've ever encountered. But it's very much a political statement as well, right? Like, I mean, a lot of, like, I get infuriated by a lot of the political going-ons I see on Twitter on a day-to-day basis, but I'm trying to... Uh, pull myself back from engaging in it, even if I'm just like to other Bitcoiners, look how fucking ridiculous this is because I find it's not like I'm not being constructive there. Like I want to, I want to contribute in a constructive way with, with information or with ideas or products or media or whatever. Um, But uh, I think we all feel that way that, you know, Bitcoin represents hope. And as a result of that, it's, it's really a, you know, there's a huge aspect of this that's, that's political, but from a business perspective, kind of trying to tie this, you know, back into the, what we've been discussing here tonight, um, is the regulatory risk any different for you guys from a business perspective than personal? Because, you know, it's obviously conceivable if, if not, you know, I know a lot of people expect it that at a certain point, you know, at a certain price point, at a certain level of adoption, this could become contentious politically. Uh, and it, you know, people that are tied to it could be adversely affected. You know, I don't, I hope that businesses wouldn't be shut down for holding it on their balance sheet. And again, I do want to get to that question of how you actually hold it, but uh, you know, are you, do you ever consider the risks to the business of being involved with an asset that is in murky regulatory uh you know, waters in terms of how it's perceived and could be a contentious issue in the future. Can I take the first stab at this question? Um, as the person with the most corrupt government, um, you know, that uh, I, live, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how mean Canada is with, you know, it's asset seizure and, you know, raiding of your homes. But, um, you know, I, it's, this is the number one thing that I'm worried about, uh, to be honest, because like, 
uh, we have not really gotten to the phase of Bitcoin as a threat to the system. I mean, it is a threat to the system, but they don't realize it's a threat to the system yet. And in this next bubble, um, you know, if we're at $250,000 Bitcoin prices, we're talking about dot-com level of a bubble. You know, it, when Bitcoin, the Bitcoin bubble pops in this next, you know, rise and fall, you know, I'm hoping that, uh, 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 you know, it doesn't induce a, uh, the Federal Reserve to have to step in and, and be the buyer of last resort for Bitcoin um, to keep the economy from, from going into a depression. But I, I do think that governments are going to target Bitcoiners. And the number one way that we can insulate ourselves from, from that attack vector is to get as many corporations and businesses to put Bitcoin on their balance sheet as possible. Because businesses are the people who run the government. Businesses are the people who pay for the lobbyists. And if we can get Bitcoin on the balance sheets of Fortune 500 companies, well, then guess what? Bitcoin now runs government. And like, that's what's going to defend us. That's what's going to protect us. Not, not our rights. You're, we don't have rights, all right? What's going to protect us is, is the corporate greed saying, hey, don't mess with our Bitcoin. So I, I really think that that's why this narrative is so important to, to push and to make acceptable for a CEO to feel like they can add Bitcoin into their balance sheet because that's that's how we really protect ourselves yeah i i agree with that like i think um i think it's too late for uh for them to do anything about it in that way uh, i could be wrong obviously but uh this is one uh, risk of bitcoin but the infrastructure is just so deep and and it involves everyone from fidelity to um, like like backed and and all these big institutions. Uh, Paul Tudor Jones uh, getting in. Like I don't think these people are just going to allow that to happen because these people have a lot of power and a lot of influence in governments and. Uh, if governments decide to go this way, they're in for like a big, big fight. So yeah, yeah, that, that could be a risk, but it's not a risk right now. Uh, and I see it like very, it's very hard to do something about it later down the road because down the road it's going to be even stronger. It's going to have more influential people uh, owning Bitcoin and they're just going to have to live with it. Yeah, for me, from from a legal perspective, I just really don't see any way Canada can go about doing that. Um, from a practical perspective, the game theory, I just don't think it makes any sense to push it out of the jurisdiction like that. It's just going to push competition elsewhere. And uh, and then I guess lastly, I've never really seriously considered it, but I would. There's no way I would give up Bitcoin because the government told me to. It's just not happening. Well, here's a, here's another thing, right? So the I think what one uh, camp. And, you know, perhaps, I mean, I think we, we've all probably thought this at some point, but one camp is like 100,000, 200,000 Bitcoin world is, is quite a different looking world. You know, that a lot of things have to happen for that to happen. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of us think that the social problems induced by uh, the nature of our money and how the money system is managed will continue to be exacerbated as the money system is uh, abused as it has been egregiously over the last several uh, months. Um, and we kind of think, you know, shit's going to really hit the fan in certain areas. 
so we should extricate ourselves to fill in your safe haven, rural red state, U.S., you know, Caribbean island somewhere, Thailand, wh wherever, you know, the citadel sort of concept. Then the other side of that coin is, okay, well, if Bitcoin is at one, two, three, 500,000 within the next five years, then a lot of Bitcoiners and a lot of Bitcoin businesses, presumably, if they've taken the approach that we've been discussing here tonight, become fairly well capitalized and, and capital, well capitalized enough to actually begin having influence in the political process, you know, and, and playing those kind of dirty games that we've always lamented, you know, buying politicians, lobbying, all the rest of it to actually get favorable um, regulations and policies passed to continue to facilitate the growth of this industry rather than just saying, fuck it, I'm out, I'm living on my farm, which don't get me wrong, appeals to me greatly. But, you know, if, if the opportunity is there to actually affect change uh, on such a large scale and have it benefit so many people, then I know like a lot of Bitcoiners I talk to for all of our, you know, all the criticisms that we sometimes get, I mean, there's a lot of good hearts in this space. I can say that for sure. And I, you know, I can see us being drawn into that if, if at all the opportunity is presented. What's your guys' thoughts on that? So I really think that's the beauty of Bitcoin because once you really get into Bitcoin, you have this like urge to um, help Bitcoin, right? And everybody's gonna do it in their own way. And that strengthens like the, the network effect of Bitcoin right? Uh, everybody's going to contribute in their own little way and big guys, right, that come in, uh, they're going to do the same. And they're going to use all of their power to make sure they protect their wealth and their investments, right? So that plays like on, a, on the small scale, uh, on the big scale, it's, it's just going to happen all over. Greed is finally working for humanity's sake, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I kind of feel like the Citadel meme. I love the Citadel meme, but I, I also feel like it's a little bit of a, a naive kind of uh, uh, um, distruth. I don't know. I'm not going to use the word lie, but that that we tell ourselves that we can we can insulate ourselves from the system, and there's some level of security that we can have that will protect us and our in our Bitcoin riches uh, from the anger that will be, you know the powers that be. And, you know, if you look at the past hundred years, a lot of horrible things have been done to preserve the dollar's hegemony on the global financial system. And, you know, the United States has no problem rolling up into the Middle East and, and killing millions, if that's what it takes, to enforce, you know, control of the petro system. Right? They have no problem going to war and killing a hundred million people in China, if that's what it takes. And so, you know, I, I would not undercount uh, uh, the willingness of the system to do really horrific things in order to preserve their power um, and dominance. And, um, you know, I think that we have to be uh, preparing ourselves um, and, and infiltrating the system as quickly as we possibly can, because this is not something, the Bitcoin price moves very quickly. So we can go from $30,000 Bitcoin prices to $250,000 Bitcoin prices in a six month period. 
you know, I mean, that's, that's how I think it'll probably happen. That's how it's happened in every former bubble. And, you know, this is probably not the bubble that this is like the biggest risk, but the next bubble, I mean, we're talking about many millions of dollars per Bitcoin. And so there becomes some point, I don't know exactly where it is, where, you know, we, we are targeted. And, you know, if you go look at Coinbase or you go look at GBTC Grayscale, I mean, you know, you think that JP Morgan is going to be cool with Coinbase having 10 JP Morgans on their balance sheet? Hell no. Hell no. And so, um, you know, I think if we want to protect ourselves from JP Morgan, we got to get JP Morgan in on Bitcoin. All right. Like, I, and I hate to say that, but this is, this is about protecting ourselves so that, you know, we can build the world we want to see. Um, and it's, it's bigger than just, you know, punishing the bad guys. It's about, you know, liberating the good guys. And, you know, I, 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 I hope that I'm wrong about that, but history has said otherwise. I mean, think about it in the 1930s, they seized everyone's gold out of their, out of their bank accounts, out of their safety deposit boxes. They made it illegal to own it. That was in the thirties. Think about the moral standards that existed in the thirties versus the moral standards today. I mean, people at that time couldn't even imagine what's going on today on TikTok or on what, you know, I mean, it's like, we are a much darker society than we were just a hundred years ago. So if they were willing to do that back then, I don't think what they're willing to do now has, has, I mean, that at a minimum is what's on the table. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I, I worry about it. I worry about it. Sean, you got anything on that one? Yeah, I would just say I, I agree with that. Uh, I, to your point, at 200k, I don't. I'm not too too worried about it yet. That puts. I think that puts Bitcoin at 3.8 ish trillion, and that's you know, couple apples. It's not even that crazy. Um, but the next one, I think, after that, in that somewhere in that six to 15 year window from now, we start to see problems. And uh, and I don't know. I, coming back to your original question is like. How would you handle that? Um, I think that that's the that's going to be the big issue for our generation is to hold firm in that in that scenario, and and that's just going to be our job. Do whatever it takes to hold on and and not cave to them. Yeah, you know it's it's tricky. I had this conversation with with someone today, and we we touched on this like you know way back in the earlier part of this discussion, and it, it's so. F- funny and disheartening as well that people's sense of freedom by and large you know let's quote unquote normie people their sense of freedom just uh curiously conforms to the permissions that they're granted like oh these are like they will state that well the freedoms that i desire are precisely the ones that i've been given and why is that as we said earlier people don't like to admit that they're being stifled in some way. They're being prohibited from doing something they otherwise would want to do. So they do some mental gymnastics so that what's offered is what's desired. Bob's your uncle. Everything's great, right? And um, and it's fun, you know. Th- this this uh, the Rona crisis has, you know, made laid that bare pretty much. You know, where where people acquiesce to so much, and what what it the reason why I'm bringing it up now and why, why it kind of frightens me is because, and, and to your point, Ali, like I don't think 
or to everyone's point, really, I don't think a crackdown is coming anytime soon. I mean, I think we've seen more tailwinds than headwinds. Things can change quickly in this day and age, so you never know, but I, I don't see it coming soon. Um, but what I am frightened about is that if it did, nobody would do a, a goddamn thing about it. And nobody could, you know, like, look at, look at the people who try to, you know, um, uh, push back against whatever, you know, things have been imposed on them, whether they be business or personal over the last several months. I mean, you, you, you just, you're forced to acquiesce. And um, I think Bitcoin's a bit of a different dynamic because it's global and because, you know, it'll be there no matter what people do to you personally. But, um, you know, it's, we're kind of, we're, we're still in like, somewhat existing in the good graces of, of the powers that be because we are very much, uh, our behavior is very much kind of uh, happens at, uh, by their permission in, in many regards. And so, for example, if in Canada they said tomorrow, it's illegal to hold Bitcoin on your balance sheet and it's illegal to hold it personally, all exchanges are shut down, you have to report it. And if you don't, now you might say, well, I'm just not going to report it and my business will suffer the consequences. Well, that's fine. But how are you going to accumulate it from now on and how, you know, how are you going to use it or whatever, you know, it, 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 it could get hairy and we, there wouldn't be much recourse, I guess is my point. And that's the thing that, that frightens me the most, even if there's a small possibility of that being the case. And, and, you know, the one thing about every Bitcoiner is that when they, when they get into Bitcoin, they have to tell everyone about it. Like it, it's, <laughs> it consumes them. And, you know, when the government says, hey, you have to sell us your Bitcoin at this fixed price, um, it's your patriotic duty. And if you know someone who has Bitcoin um, that you think may not have told us about it, uh, it's your, your, your responsibility as a citizen to report them to the government. Guess what? Like, you'll be reported. Especially if there's a little, little fiat yeah. paper involved. Yeah. yeah. Some, some, some some slave notes. So uh, I, um, you know, that's why like we are building a coalition. Bitcoin is a coalition and we have to grow the coalition as quickly as possible so that they're in the minority, not us. And, you know, it is a race against time. It is a race against time. I think the race is like, started i think oh it's, yeah for sure for yeah, sure like uh you're gonna see more and more companies do this yeah the, i mean the game theory is on our side that's the beautiful thing about all this 100%. yeah 100%. i mean they, they banned gold and guess what they had to unban gold and guess what gold is at what uh uh 80x the price that they forced people to sell it to them at right. i mean it like like not just, you know, time is on our side, but math is on our side. Uh, I mean, like, this is an inevitability, but that doesn't mean they're not going to fight it as it, every step of the way. Yeah, and, that doesn't mean you, you, don't, you can't afford to be, it, like, you got to be, still have to exercise some caution, I guess, right? And, like, for us to build a coalition, like, you know, being a user on Coinbase who has a little bit of speculative access to Bitcoin, that's not really joining the coalition. I mean... That is, those users will disappear the moment that, that Coinbase is, is shut down and their assets are confiscated. You know, we need to educate people about why Bitcoin matters, why they need to be a part of the coalition, why they need to be angry as hell about what's going on. And then, you know, as we build that coalition, like, I mean, the, the, 
for example, Bitcoin, I mean, if we even wanted to use Bitcoin as a payment system for hundreds of millions of people, it is not even possible right now. Like the system can't even take on that many new users. We need to be looking at, at layer two technologies, not as like some neat technological fascination. We need to be like going after it with urgency. Like we desperately need to be saying, how do we make this system work for 500 million people? Like within the next five years, how do we make it work for 500 million people? And you know, if that's not the mentality that we're taking, then we're not thinking big enough because like, that's like, we really need this to work for 10 billion people, not 500 million. So, um, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, especially the, the three of us on this call as businesses, like we need to be, you know, accepting Bitcoin for payment. We need to be accepting lightning for payment. We need to be, um, you know, uh, custing our own Bitcoin. We need to be doing the things that, that, that build the business opportunities for Bitcoin startups to provide products and services that lay the foundation for the hyper Bitcoinized economy. And um, I just don't see the urgency. I don't see the urgency. And we don't have that much time. I mean, five years comes really fast and we've made a lot of improvements in the past five years. So, I mean, I'm like, you know, that's, that's the one positive thing is that we've been pacing really well, but like, we got to keep, we got to keep pushing on it. Yeah, I've been, I've, to be honest, I've been telling people, because uh, I, I get a lot of comments, um, whether we take Bitcoin and uh, as payments or not. And I basically told people, guys, don't spend your Bitcoin, <laughs> right? Um, I didn't even look into it, to be honest. Um, I, don't, I don't see Bitcoin, for me at least, uh, to be used that way, like little small payments like that. Um, the, I don't think that's what, what it's for. Maybe in the future, like you said, in a in, uh, you know, hyper-Bitcoinized uh, world, that will be possible. But um, I just don't see it right now as being used that way. I don't know if that like, hurts Bitcoin, um, but the use case of just being a savings technology is pretty damn good. And that's gonna, that's gonna make, uh, give it all the support that I think it needs, but I don't know. I could be wrong. We're not there yet, but the money is, when it happens, the money's going to fail fast and we're going to need the infrastructure in place to handle the demand that comes over. And right now it's not there. So you're absolutely right. We need to be starting to build that stuff now. And then lots of people are, we're doing lots of great stuff right now. Yeah. But, and I mean, I, you guys really think like, money's gonna fail completely yeah yeah <laughs> I, I don't know i think i think there's gonna be some form of of other money um and then there's gonna be bitcoin as well um so like i don't know i just i i see them it's not gonna be worth anything like it's not gonna be worth what it is now that's for sure uh, there might be a new one there, but I just, I don't think that there's just not going to be any currencies at all. Yeah. So, so, you know, I, I, um, I definitely don't think this stuff is going to be happening on layer one because we've learned Bitcoin. It just, it can't change and that's a feature. And um, that means that we have to, that's like a forcing function to, to make us figure out how to do things efficiently and how to build technologies that are scalable on top of it. 
And so, you know, I, um, I don't think it's going to be Bitcoin layer one stuff though. I, I do think though, like if a customer wants to come in and pay you in Bitcoin, that's awesome. That's economic activity that was able to happen without the dollar being involved or without the Canadian dollar being involved. And like, if you can apply pressure on some of your vendors to accept Bitcoin, or you can get some of your Bitcoin, your employees to accept Bitcoin. All right. Now we're starting to get a little bit of a, a circular system. And the more money that we can have circulate, the more Bitcoin that we can have circulate amongst people, uh, the more economic activity that the dollar doesn't get to tax. It doesn't get, it doesn't get the, the, uh, uh, that economic activity to carry its weight, so to speak. And so as that pool of activity shrinks over time, you know, I mean, I, I'm hoping that with like, by the time this next bubble happens, I'm completely exited from the system. I, I, like I want to live a hundred percent of my personal life on Bitcoin and I want to get my business as close as possible to, to doing that. I, you know, I know that that's a high risk thing to do, but that's, that's what I'm trying to get to as that pool of people that are doing that grows all of the, all of the, inflation, it gets shared amongst a smaller and smaller number of people. And the expense of staying in the system, it compounds. And so there becomes a point in time in which the system becomes just non-viable. Like it's just the, the, the burden being placed on people who are operating, it just, it's non-viable. And so, you know, I think, you know, I don't know exactly, exactly how it, it plays out. And I, I'm, you know, I don't think anyone can say they, they do. Um, but I do know that like the, the, the more rails that we can build that, that, that exist outside of the system, then the faster that we can make that happen. And, you know, time again, like I said, it's not on our side. We can't drag this, the adoption cycle out on, on, on Bitcoin because once, once they realize the game, like <laughs> they're going to be coming hard and fast. Let's put it like that hard and fast. And yeah. once those layer two things are built, why would anyone want to accept anything other than Bitcoin? Once it's easy to accept and the infrastructure is all in place and everyone can hold Bitcoin relatively easily, businesses aren't going to want to accept your bullshit. I mean, I think things like, you know, the tax laws around it would, would be a consideration for people for spending and stuff like that. Uh, if it's not in like the formally sanctioned currency. Um, and it's an interesting question. I mean, I think Bitcoin's, you know, the resources, the most important resources to devote to Bitcoin are for increasing its ability to solve the problems for which it, it is designed to do. And so obviously spending, you know, is not the, the biggest problem it's trying to solve, but it's obviously in that mix. And if you can solve that problem as well, it amplifies its ability to solve all the problems for which it's designed to do. Uh, you know, the thing that, that, that concerns me, and I, I don't want to open up this rabbit hole too much, but like so few people, uh, like as long as there's still faith in the government, the state apparatus, like there's enough people that are dumb enough or uninformed enough, don't have the time, et cetera, you know, for the people that aren't dumb. Um, and I know I'm being mean, but you know, some people like some people will never, ever, ever give a fuck about inflation ever. Like they'll never even consider what money is a fleeting thought. And for those people, like, I think there will be this bifurcation with the central bank digital currency movement. Like I could easily see a scenario where governments say, 
Yep. Canadian dollar is kind of fucked. It's COVID's fault though. So, but we're, we're, we're savvy with the times. We've got this new fangled cryptocurrency from the bank of Canada and it, we're going it, to, it's going to have a hard cap and it's going to do this and we can give you these rates depending on where you shop and bada bing, bada bang. And they're going to send it out. And a good portion of people are going to be like, holy cow, that's awesome. Wow. Progressive. Amazing. I love it. Everybody unite together. And uh, Bitcoin will, will be like that Cinderella in the basement for, for everyone who's starting to kind of see the, the facade, see through the facade. And more people will start paying attention to it and, and siphoning off their capital and their reserves and their savings. Um, but that kind of bifurcation could, could take some, some time to play out because I think, of course, I mean, I don't think any of us would argue that like this paper currency system cannot persist. I mean, it's played out many times in the past before and it just, it always gets abused to the point of death. Uh, but in these times, like what the, the facade and the, the confidence in the state might be able to drum up another solution as they have done again several times in the past. And that might be palatable to some people. But I think Bitcoin being there, trucking along and continuing to increase its, its um, you know, the, the problems that it solves, its use cases doing better at solving the problems that it, it proposes to solve, will continue to siphon off those people. So I don't know if it's like one big currency crisis hyperinflationary event or if it's just it's always there and all the nonsense that gets tried to try to prop up the existing, you know, state of affairs uh, just, you know, Get, goes through iterations, but ultimately dies a slow death, and Bitcoin is there picking up the pieces along the way. The, the, the fiat system is leaking in one direction. And I mean, I don't know how many Bitcoiners you guys have met, but how many of them do you know that have gotten into Bitcoin and then have decided that Bitcoin's stupid and do the dollar's where it's at, <laughs> and they've exited their Bitcoin position to go all in on dollars? I, I, I Basically none. I, I, mean, I mean, I've met tens of thousands of people at this point in time. I don't know if I've met anyone who's told me that before. And so, I mean, it's a one directional leaking system. And if I could hear myself now, eight years ago, I'd be like, who is this crazy, insane person? I mean, I never would, I was never this type of person. I mean, I was a Warren Buffett acolyte. I was a value investor. I was bought in on like the, the I was a statist effectively. And, um, but, but once you see the reality, you can't unsee it. And so that, pool of people is always growing. And I'll lead to your point about Bitcoin as a savings technology. You know, Bitcoin is an, is an economic system. And, and so to be a savings technology, you have to also be uh, uh, like one man's spending is another man's savings. So, you know, someone comes to your store and spends Bitcoin with you and you accept that natively, guess what? Your Bitcoin uh, stack, your savings technology has just grown. So, you know, what we need to do is get as much economic activity as possible off the fiat system and into the Bitcoin only native economy. And, um, you know, the faster we can do it, the better. So Jeff Booth keeps ringing the bell on this and he says, technology is deflationary period. Right. And if you just play that out with what central banks and countries around the world are doing right now, you're going to have more and more people lose trust in currencies. You really have to play that out on, on multiple levels and, and like just really think about that. And then if you get anybody 
like anybody you know and and just um sorry i mean if you bring the smartest person in the world right and you sit them down and you bring a calculator and then you ask them both what's 6543 times 2000 you know 500 who are you going to trust more any person probably 99% of people will trust a calculator more because it's code, right? And Bitcoin having that like code into it is going to lead more and more people to trust it, but they have to not trust the fiat currencies first. Right. And that's just going to keep happening, you know, bit by bit. And yeah, I just, I see that that's, that's the path we're going on. Yeah. And the, and the circumstances are just going to direct so much attention toward that. I mean, I, I had coffee with a guy, you know, I hadn't seen in 10 years. He called me up yesterday and he just, you know, he wanted to talk about what the hell was going on and what this Bitcoin thing plays in, in this whole mix. And he was like, look, I got a family, I got a career, I got two kids. Like I want to make sure we're safe. So I'm not, getting in this for yield farming or any other bullshit. I'm getting in this to basically preserve capital and, and, you know, be involved in, in the money of the future, you know, tell me, tell me how to do that. And I, you know, of course I was only too happy to put the fire hose on him, but. <laughs> no, coronavirus has been like the best marketing campaign possible for Bitcoin because it's like, you know, you can go talk to any person in the street and ask them, you know, what do they think about the economy? And if they've, they follow anything at all. I mean, if they, if they follow the stock market at all, anybody would say it does not make sense that the stock market is at all time highs when the businesses on my street are shut down and have plywood over the windows. Like it does not make sense. And so there is something wrong with the system that people can intuitively feel. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's the thing that makes people ask questions. They, that's the thing that makes people say, why is it like how it is? And, you know, I would never have, found Bitcoin if it hadn't been for the 08 financial crisis. That was my, my eye-opening experience of how broken the system is. And so, you know, these, these things lay bare and COVID has really done an amazing good from the perspective of opening people's eyes to how fraudulent and, 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 and just fictitious the system is. Yeah, and just, just to John's original question, like how do we see the potential for this bifurcation playing out? I think you were describing what we're seeing today, which is some people see it and some people don't. And some people are opting to save in Bitcoin. There's a slow transition in that direction, the one-way street. But I think when the time comes where people's purchasing power is dropping in real time, we'll be amazed at how fast they'll switch, how fast they'll move their money from fiat into Bitcoin when it's losing you know, 10% in a month. I think that happened. That'll happen really fast. It's so bizarre though. You know, like look at the cost of lumber now. And I have some friends in the home building industry and, you know, look at, you go to the grocery store and people will lament like cheapers, creepers, fucking avocados are up and lumber is up and whatever the hell else. And uh, like, you're right, Sean. Like, I think this is how it happens. And I always have to remind myself that it's not like us looking out. We're in it and we're a part of it. And, what's happening in our brains 
is happening in other people's brains and has happened before. And, you know, like we are the happening is, is kind of how I always look at it. You know, it's not our side waiting for other people to come in. It's like, this is happening to a lot of different people in a lot of different places, but it is still funny to me that when people go to the grocery store and it's not in real time, Sean, now, and that's probably the difference, right? Like when it's really fucking bad and prices go weird and supply chains get disrupted, then even more people will be questioning things. But I find it so funny that people just go, huh, the prices are up in the grocery store. God damn it, that sucks. And and they won't follow that logically to why that's happening. You know, I think, it is, worse, I think it is a little worse right now during COVID. And my butcher's done two price raises since. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's it's uh, yeah. It's been pretty bad in, on some things. So it is kind of starting to happen in real time, yeah. at least to some extent. Guys, I fucking, I glossed, glossed over this twice and I, I'm going to let you go because, you know, I, I want to be, we've been on for a while now, but I do, I did want to ask and I didn't want to forget as a business, how do you, and I, you, you, whatever you want to keep private, keep private, but how do you custody Bitcoin as a business? Like what's the setup that you use to have it on your balance sheet as a business? I'll just leave it that it's in cold storage in a wallet. Just leave it there. Yeah. Yeah, so with us, um, personally, we have it in, um, you know, uh, cold storage. And uh, for the business, we wanted to keep it as um, kind of transparent. So uh, nobody would, you know, like, uh, just put too much eyes or, or attention or, or anything. So uh, we put it in like a Bitcoin trust, a uh, Canadian one that recently opened actually, um, QBTC. QBTC? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we did that for the business um, just to make everything transparent. We're not trying to like um, put unnecessary eyes uh, on us. Personally though, we like, I wanted to own the actual Bitcoin. So sure. that's how we structured it. Um, so for us, um, there's a great app on your phone called blockchain.info and I just, I just keep it all on my cell phone. So, um, it's, you know, convenient, it's easy, you know, I don't have to think about it. Um, no, uh, we have a variety of different, different strategies. Uh, so, you know, at, uh, Bitcoin magazine, or I guess the BTC Inc corporate treasury, um, we have a, a great cold storage multi-sig setup with, um, uh, good security standards in place and that we only got serious about it because we've we've lost Bitcoin twice from from uh, hacks. Ouch. Uh, we're pretty sure about it. Uh, the uh, if you if you want a, a good uh, trip down memory lane, there's a I'm actually in the first lawsuit ever between a, a, an insurance company and a customer where uh, my computer was used to steal five thousand bitcoins off of a uh, BitPay. Like they like got a malicious file on my computer, hijacked my computer to send a malicious file to BitPay, stole 5,000 Bitcoins oh, and shit. the insurance company was covering it, but they wouldn't pay out because they said Bitcoin, they only, they only insured Bitcoin on premise um, and Bitcoin is digital. And so uh, because Bitcoin's digital, it couldn't have been on premise. And so they weren't paying out and it's like, okay, well, how did you like, how does that even make sense <laughs> that you offered the insurance in the first place? If like they could only be digital, but. Yeah, so we're, we're pretty paranoid on the security front, but with the conference, we keep, you know, a, a good sum just in the payment processor that we use so we can 
that stuff. We have some operational wallets that we'll keep small amounts of Bitcoin in. So maybe 10,000, 25,000 that we just refill constantly and, and we can spend out of that if, if somebody needs something quickly. Um, and then uh, for, our, for our fund, we go ultra, ultra, ultra paranoid. And um, if, it's, if, we're, if we're custodying it, then like we go really crazy, but we do actually put some of our Bitcoin into the GBTC trust um, and cycle our money through that because you can get really nice, uh, basically you can grow your Bitcoin at 15 to 20%, um, you know, roughly every six months. So uh, I hear you on the QBTC trade. Uh, nice. What, what do you mean? Uh, explain that a bit. Premium for, G- for GBTC. So like if you uh, basically are set up as a, as an institutional account at GBTC, I can deposit Bitcoins at, at GBTC, which is Grayscale Bitcoin Investment Trust. So uh, um, say that again. And so uh, at a premium. Hello? Right? Can you hear me? Yeah, we, we got you. We got you. We had you. Oh, no, I want to hear this. <laughs> Hey, can y'all, Yo, can y'all yeah. hear me? You're, you're back. Yeah. So explaining right. how you get, you know, extra percents on your Bitcoin. Yeah. So we deposit our Bitcoin into the GBTC trust. Uh, it's locked up for six months. Uh, at the end of that six month period, they issue us shares that uh, basically represent um, the shares represent an equal amount of value of what we put in in Bitcoin terms. But the shares trade on the secondary market like you know, on a, on just like brokerage accounts or whatever at sometimes as much as a 30% premium over like the spot value of them. And so we, why do they trade at a premium? Um, for a variety of reasons. So like if I want to buy Bitcoin through my 401k, um, you know, I can go buy the GBTC ticker. Um, and if I wanted to actually buy the Bitcoin with with money from my 401k, I'm going to be hit with a 45% penalty. So I can actually save a lot of money by just paying the 30% premium than getting hit by a, with a 45% withdrawal premium uh, or right. withdrawal fee. Um, you know, or, you know, there's, there's a, they, just a whole variety of out? Do they lend it out during the lockup? Uh, so I don't know. They say they don't. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they do because um, uh, they also have Genesis, uh, Genesis Financial, which is a, yeah. a big lending operation. Um, but they say that those are two different businesses. So, uh, uh, you know, for us, like we've done, we've done this several times and, you know, I, like, I think the first time we did it, it was like 17% on our Bitcoin in six, in six months. And we were like, Holy cow, like this can't be real. So we did it one more time. And then the second time we got like 22% and we're like, hell yeah. Thank you. Barry silver. I mean, big fans of Barry silver now. So yeah. QBTC. Say, say that again on QBTC. I was just saying it's basically the same thing. It's on the TSX. And so it trades right now. I think it's at 17%. It was at 30 the other day. And uh, basically you can get exposure through your TFSA. So it's tax-free Bitcoin. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's what I have in my TFSA as well. Yeah. Um, like it's, it's uh, because in your TFSA, you can't buy Bitcoin any other way. And you can't even buy GPTC on your, on your TFSA. Right. Yeah. So, right on. Well, gents, uh, this has been hey, a great uh, conversation. Did you John, guys? Can, yeah, can yeah. I, can I say one thing before you in the in the podcast? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just want to show one thing because uh, I think it's it's related to the topic of of 
uh, Bitcoin businesses. I'm muting uh, We <laughs> We are organizing a community uh, on <laughs> pass. It's called Bitcoin Black Friday. Bitcoin Black Friday. Uh, it's uh, a celebration of Bitcoin only deals where you can spend Bitcoin at different businesses and they're offering you a special deal on Black Friday, November, I think it's November 27th. Uh, uh, if you spend Bitcoin on that date, um, we right now have about 40 different Bitcoin companies involved. I'd love to get both of the companies represented here involved. Yeah. Um, but support Bitcoin businesses. I, Bitcoin is an incredible savings technology. Spend Bitcoin with a merchant that accepts Bitcoin and then go buy more Bitcoin with your, with your fiat. Um, and uh, just want to invite everyone listening to this podcast to, to join us for, for Bitcoin Black Friday. Nice, nice. Very cool initiative. And uh, is Bitcoin 2021, uh, any thoughts on that right now? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, it's happening 100%. I mean, we do not care at all what the city of LA says. Um, you know, <laughs> luckily, this is like the most toxic community that exists. So people have no problem showing up in their hazmat suits. Um, and, uh, dude, Bitcoin 2021 is going to be amazing. Uh, literally the other day in the office, we were, uh, trying to figure out how we can source, uh, sumo wrestlers. Um, we want to have sumo wrestlers live wrestling when people come into the, into the convention center, um, that we can have a live stream on with QR codes where people can, can gamble on which sumo wrestler is going to win. Um, <laughs> we have a, an X game style half pipe that, like for Bitcoin 2020, we were going to have Tony Hawk skateboard on this half pipe, but like we could only go to a certain height because of regulations in SF and how much room there was on the, on the, on the roof of the building. Now, because we're in LA, we're going full X games, like 40 foot half pipe, like legit. So there's going to be Tony Hawk and some of his boys there, there uh, skateboarding. Um, like this conference is going to be like <laughs> nothing anyone has ever seen. When is it's it? It's going to be awesome. Uh, it is uh, uh, April April twenty eighth to May first. I can't wait. Amazing, dude! Please come. Uh, we like we you be our honored guest. Our honored guest. Yeah. For sure, for sure. I'll we'll try. I'll try to make it. Ali, uh, Sean, any any closing thoughts? Oh, not necessarily. I mean, come vote if you're ever in Toronto. <laughs> if any of you oh, guys fine. want to check it out, let me know. Can't yeah. wait. Cool. Cool. Uh, for me, honestly, I just want to uh, really, really thank um, the, the Bitcoin community for um, all the support, really. Like, I've, um, you know, you see uh, how defensive on Twitter, um, you know, some Bitcoiners can get. But um, ever since we joined in, I just felt like massive, massive support. And I love the Bitcoin community even more now. Um, and that's, that's one thing that we should continue, you know, doing. And um, uh, yeah, so thank you everyone out there. Uh, and also, if you're ever around uh, Tahini's restaurant uh, in Canada or anywhere else, if we expand, uh, come get a shawarma. We'll, we'll love to have you. Oh nice, yeah. Nice. Love the sentiment and, uh, and totally agree. Uh, well, gents, thank you very much for the time. It's been fun to, to chat. I'm sure we'll, we'll speak again in the future. In the meantime, everybody float at float Toronto, eat tahinis, check out Bitcoin magazine, all that good stuff. And we thank will you, see Tom you guys next time.
Thank you, John.